And I want to begin this morning, as you find Ephesians 3 again in your Bible, by quoting Ecclesiastes, by quoting Solomon, sort of. Here's the quote. So round and round and round we go, where the world's headed, nobody knows. Ball of confusion, that's what the world is today. Hey, hey. Sort of like Solomon. Sort of like Ecclesiastes. It's actually from one of my favorite 80s alternative bands, Love and Rockets. I love that song. Ball of confusion. It's round and round and round we go. Where the world's headed, nobody knows. It's actually not a Love and Rockets song from the 80s. It's a Temptations song from 1970. But it's an Ecclesiastes song. It's a Solomon song. It's a song that we would hear today, maybe with different words, but expressing the same sentiment. Every culture, every time, every people has voiced something like that ever since there's been sin. Ball of confusion. Round and round and round we go. Where the world's headed, nobody knows. It takes shots at politicians and their empty promises. It takes shots at the confusion that comes from drug abuse. I mean, there's just all of this kind of expression of angst and frustration. And there's something about the expression that's really good. It's why I liked it as a teenager in the 80s. Politicians make their promises. And then they fund their agendas with my taxes. Not as a teenager, but I sure felt like it, you know. Something we can identify with. It's, it's frustrating. Again, to quote the lyric, vote for me and I'll set you free. Reminds me of hearing our president within the last week or so when he said, my goal is to end suffering. And I thought, that's the right goal. Your feet aren't big enough to fill those shoes because that's a messianic promise whether he realizes it or not, but vote for me and I'll set you free. My goal is to end suffering. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. And you say, why are you saying all this stuff today in church? <laughs> because whenever I read Ephesians, because of my feelings like you feel and like every culture has felt, but I express it with Love and Rockets lyrics, I always think when I read Ephesians, ball of confusion, round and round and round we go, where the world's headed, nobody knows. And I think Ephesians because I think Ephesians is about the eternal purpose. We do know where it's headed. And we do know where it's going. And it's tied to someone who has big enough feet to fill the shoes to end suffering. It's awesome. It's an awesome answer to this feeling that we all have, to this frustration that we all have. And we find it in God's eternal purpose for the ages. So intriguing reading Ephesians chapter 1, where there is a preordained plan and purpose of God. History is linear. It is going somewhere, even though it might feel circular sometimes. It's going somewhere, and God has ordained it to be so. And then in Ephesians chapter 2, we have sin and the mess that sin creates. 
It's no wonder we have the angst. It's no wonder we have the frustration. It's no wonder things seem so messed up because they are so messed up. But Ephesians helps us us to see that there's a big plan and there's a big purpose and it's a redemptive purpose. It's a personal purpose. It's not just conceptual. It includes us. And it finds its answer, its culmination, its high point, its fulfillment in Christ. And so it's awesome. It's awesome to see. It reorients our thinking. It answers the frustration. It helps us to see things clearly. So what we'll do this morning is we'll look at Ephesians 3. What we're doing as a church is we're doing big picture Ephesians. So we're going fast. We're missing lots of good details. But sometimes it's helpful to remember and to read the Bible the way it was originally given. And this was given as a letter. And so we're compromising a little bit. We're not just reading all six chapters. Um, But we're doing a six-week series, just getting the big picture. And what I'm hoping happens is it reorients us so we can think straight, so we can see straight, so we can answer the questions that we all have inside when we see the mess around us. It should help us. First three chapters, this is an overgeneralization. First three chapters deal with the theology of it, if you will, understanding God and how he works and what his plan is and how it's in Christ and and how he includes us. And and then the last three chapters deals with putting those things into practice. Okay, in light of what Christ has done for us, in light of God's eternal purpose and who we are, how do we live our lives? And so we're going to focus on that side starting next week. In chapter 3, Paul wants to start praying for believers And he rudely interrupts himself and has to teach some more. And then he goes back to praying. So we'll pick up on it. Um, I'll confess and be honest with you that uh, Ephesians 1 and 2 are two of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Um, Chapter 3 is more challenging. Because it's a prayer that gets interrupted. You're like, what? But it's bringing things together and showing us that the eternal purpose is in Christ. And so let's all repent of not liking it as much as chapter 1 and 2. And see that it does help us to see the big picture. It's just a little bit more challenging for us. And hopefully you'll appreciate what's happening here. Okay, so let's go through. It's kind of a running commentary today, not the way I normally like to preach. But I think it's helpful for the health of each of us and for the church. So let's at least look at the first three words before we interrupt Paul's interruption. In chapter 3, verse 1, it says, For this reason, well, from the end of chapter 2, where you've got the, this dwelling of God, which is temple in the Old Testament, and now we're the temple, which is different, and that's fascinating. We've got Jew and Gentile in, in, in the temple, and the temple would be where God is. The unique presence of God, which is amazing that it's Jew and Gentile because you'd think it would just be Jewish. And so for this reason, I was talking to you about this amazing reality that you who were dead in trespasses and sins are, are now the very dwelling of God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, and again, just to remind you of what we've seen before, you Gentiles, in chapter 2, who were far off, who were, you were strangers, you were separated from God. And so, reminding of, uh, us of who we, who we are as Gentiles, most of us are Gentiles. Um, 
not Jewish, far off, distant, separated from God's covenantal promises. And, and I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on your behalf. I'm not here because of breaking the law per se, because of some just reason. I'm here because I told you the theological truth. I told you the gospel, and it's for Jew and Gentile. It's for everyone who would ever believe, and I'm being persecuted for it. And, and now he's going to start praying for those believers, and he interrupts himself. And so we don't get the prayer until verse 14. So this is an inspired interruption. And the prayer is so awesome, but we're going to have to wait till verse 14. Let's go ahead and look at the tangent. Verse 2 says, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace... That was given to me for you how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. So I'm, I'm in prison because of preaching Christ to everyone and, and how everyone is part of the dwelling of God if they believe in Jesus. And I'm in prison because of that. But I've, gotten this, I've received this stewardship. Stewardship is something that's not yours, right? But you're responsible for it. And by the working of God, he's given him this responsibility of proclaiming Christ, proclaiming salvation and Messiah to everyone, not just for the Jews who would claim Messiah. He calls this thing that he has, and he's received in verse 3, a mystery, which is sometimes confusing for us, because when we see mystery, we think, you know, mysterious. Mystery is something that could be something that nothing was said about before. Could be something that is that less was said of before. Something that, that needs to be revealed. Something that needs to be made clear. If it's less than clear, if it was living in the, in the types and shadows, to use theological talk in the Old Testament, it's got to be made revealed. It's got to be made known. It's got to be seen. This this mystery is no longer a mystery. Now we can understand it more fully. And so mystery comes up a lot, so it's worth us thinking about this. Paul talks about mystery a lot in verse 4. It's the mystery of Christ. Well, again, don't check out, but let's, let's think about this. The mystery of Christ. Christ was never talked about before. Christ means Messiah. Messiah is talked about a lot in the Old Testament. So he doesn't just mean, he doesn't mean that. Um, is he talking about salvation was never talked about before until I showed up? No, salvation is talked about a lot. Justification by faith alone? No, go back to Genesis chapter 12 and following. That's talked about a lot. That Gentiles could be saved? No, that's talked about also. In fact, back in Genesis 12, you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's Gentile inclusion to Abraham. Genesis 18, 18, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And Galatians chapter 3 says that's the gospel. So it's not a simple answer. But what is unique, what is different, what hasn't been revealed, even though Gentile inclusion has been talked about, a Gentile is a non-Jew, by the way, it had been promised back in Genesis 12, what you didn't ever have realized, what you didn't ever see, what hadn't been made clear is that Jew and Gentile equal in the body of Christ, equally coming to Messiah. You don't have to, as you used to, 
become part of the family of God by first essentially becoming a Jew. This is equal. You believe in Jesus, you're a Gentile. You believe in Jesus and you're a Jew. It's just equal footing. And it's equal in Messiah, that Messiah isn't only an Old Testament Savior, and you have to come to Him in an Old Testament way, through the physical temple. No. This is different. This is unique. Common footing, common ground. We might not appreciate that so much because we're so Gentile in our thinking and we don't think in these terms, but you can appreciate it, can't you, if you go back to the Old Testament world and treat it as sort of a second-class citizen spiritually, even if you believed in Yahweh, the one true God? No, there's none of that anymore. And as we're going to see, this is what's so fascinating, that has always been part of God's eternal purpose. This is by design. This is by plan. It just hadn't been made known. It hadn't been made clear before. Now when we go back and read the Old Testament, we read Genesis 12, we read Genesis 18, we're like, oh, I kind of get it. It kind of all fits together. But as it first showed up, it first came on the scene, that's worth putting somebody in jail for. This is different. Not rogue, like he's making up a new religion. It's putting the pieces together and making it clear. That's why he uses the, the musterion, the mystery kind of word, but he still calls himself an apostle of Christ. So again, we can maybe not appreciate it as easily as they could have then. I suppose if you want to... Let's move on. No, let's not. Spend some time with some religiously devout Jews. And they're all different kinds, just like we're different. But there's some similarities too. I think of my wife, who you're not supposed to talk about in sermons unless you have permission, but I'm going to do it. might be bad later when I get home. But it was interesting watching my wife on an airplane from New Jersey, which has, I think, the biggest Jewish population on the planet, to Jerusalem, to Tel Aviv, I should say. Our plane is filled with Jewish people. Some devout, some not devout, but some devout. And I'm not going to say much more, lest I be taken the wrong way, but it's something to experience. <laughs> It's something to experience, right? Right, Michelle? <laughs> Imagine having to think in your mind, and this isn't a perfect illustration, you've got to become like them to get to God. Let's just say that'd be different. <laughs> that'd be different. You know how you get to God? when it comes to His perfect purpose and plan that He designed before the foundation of the world, you get to God by believing in Jesus. And that wasn't clear. And now it's clear. You come on equal footing. You don't have to become one of them to first come to God. It's a big deal, and we still can't appreciate that. But it's always been planned and purposed this way if we're remembering chapter 1, which is amazing. Verse 4, 
when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. That's the mystery, Messiah, otherwise a Jewish title, the Jewish deliverer, but he's not only the Jewish deliverer, and that's always been the plan. Verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed. doesn't mean that it was silent and there was nothing about it, but as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, so he's making sure that the authority is coming from, from God and, and even the Old Testament world and the Old Testament God, even though this is a new thing, he's not starting a new religion, per se. Verse 6, this is a fascinating verse. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, equal footing, members of the same body and partakers of the promise of Christ, of Old Testament Messiah Jesus, through the gospel. Again, doesn't mean much to us, 21st century, middle America, but you go, whoa! From a Jewish mindset, a Jewish context, partakers of the promise? I mean, read your Old Testament and, and you learn about the promised land, which is for the Jews, and the covenants of promise, we learned about that in chapter 2, that's for the Jews, and it's so unique to them, and now all of a sudden, equal footing, fellow heirs of the promise? Whatever God had been doing, and it was good and important and right, you ain't seen nothing yet. That Messiah is better, more transcendent, more far-reaching, more amazing than any of those types and shadows could have ever told us. But now the mystery is revealed. They were the people of promise in the promised land, covenants of promise, and here partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's Old Testament talk, and now it's even better. Not through a different Messiah than the Old Testament, the same one, but we didn't know so much. He's our Savior too. You know, so many times, not always, so many times in the Bible, in the New Testament, Jesus is called the Savior of the world. And we draw all kinds of wrong conclusions and, and it becomes a debate about some other issue. It's not teaching universalism. He's the Savior of Jew and Gentile, not just Jew, Savior of the world, all kinds of people. Which is sh shocking and amazing. It's more in line of what we're talking about. Verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister, made a servant according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, remember the far off, people alienated, hostile, without covenants of promise, the unsearchable riches of Messiah, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Wow, verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone, context, not just Jews, what is the plan? Ah, remember, eternal purpose, he's going to talk about that. The plan, what has been the plan from all along? Here it is, the plan. Not plan B. Oh, this is the plan B. God didn't know what he was doing before, and he had to change. Isn't the church wonderful? It wouldn't be so wonderful. This is the plan. The plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Think back to Ephesians 1. He's got this purpose. He has this plan. It's unfolding. So that through the church, the place where Jew and Gentile are equal, that through the church, this is the plan, 
the manifold or multi-dimensional, amazing, astounding, staggering wisdom of God. I can't help but think of Colossians 2, 3, that Christ is the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Even in the grander grander spiritual realm of things, whether they be good, they be bad, this is to make known for all of cosmic reality to know this is the plan. The suffering, the difficulty, all the stuff that comes because of sin. And then you've got crucified Messiah and the people of God even rejecting Him and all this. I just want it to be on display because God has put it on display for everyone to see. Even angels and demons and the grandest cosmic reality. Here's the plan. Wow. Verse 11, this was according to the plan B of God. <laughs> this was according to the, etern- the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. I, I want to sound like a preacher when I talk that, that way, talk about that stuff. If, if we're talking about the plan, the purpose, and, and what is it? It's realized in Christ. It was all centered on Him. It's, it's Christocentric, if that's how you want to sound fancy. It was all leading toward Him. And now we're on the other side of it, and it's all because of Him. So we wait for His return to, to make actualized, to make realized, if you will. But it's all centered around Him. Somebody said to me this morning, I just have a quick question for you. And I said, Jesus is the answer. Right? Like the old Sunday school story. I, it sounds like a squirrel, you know, it's furry and it has a long tail. And, but I know Jesus is the answer because that's the, question, the answer you're supposed to give in Sunday school. Somebody else could tell the story better than I could. But anyway, you get the idea. But here in a real, genuine sense, Jesus is the answer. Vote for me and I'll set you free. Huh, heard that before. As every generation's heard it. Round and round and round we go. Where the world's headed, nobody knows. I'm going to end suffering. Ha! Right? We become jaded and calloused and bitter, frustrated. I'm so tired of hearing all the politics and things and stuff. And you're like, but why am I such a sucker for it, you know? I just get drawn back in. Got to listen to more news radio. It's like, oh. all kidding aside, Jesus is the answer. <laughs> the plan, the purpose, the eternal purpose, the answer to sin and rebellion. By the way, you have, you have an answer for why all the chaos. It's sin and rebellion. But this is, this is significant. This is important. This is, this is reorienting. The problem is I'm going to forget it before I get to my car. So we'll come back to church next week and work on it. But it's like, oh, yeah. It's a ball of confusion from the cheap seats. But it's not a ball of confusion from the seat that you sit in. And I don't mean here. 
if we're seated with Him in the heavenly places. It's not confusing. Now, like the psalmist, we're saying, how long, O Lord, right? Before this all is what you promised it to be. Well, let's keep going. We're almost to the point he was trying to make to begin with. Um, Verse 12. In whom... This is... In whom we have boldness, in Christ, because of who we are in Him. We've been united to Him by faith in Him. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So we have boldness to go to God. We have access to God. There's no going through middlemen. There's no going through priestcraft. There's no going through even physical temple here for the Jews. There's none of that. We, we have bold access to go to Him. We have confidence to go to Him because His work is done. We know that His work is done, which gives Paul confidence to preach, boldness to preach. All because of Christ. Verse 13 says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. Imprisonment here, which is your glory. It's worth it. Don't lose heart. Stop thinking like the TV preachers trying to get you to think. Stop thinking with bad theology that says, if you're godly, good things will happen. Ultimate good things will happen. But Paul is saying, I've done the ultimate good here. I've proclaimed the mystery and made it clear because it's been made clear. I've got the best job in the world. And they put me in prison. Don't lose heart. Don't think the wrong way. It's worth it. By way of application, we're not apostles. We're not Paul. But you know, it's worth it to tell your friends and your family and your enemies the truth about Jesus. No matter what happens. It's worth it. I want to learn that from Paul. To be bold. I want to be like him. Like he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. You say, what was that verse? 2 Timothy 2.10 He's preaching Christ to everyone, knowing full well that God uses that to draw people to salvation. I do everything. I endure all of it. I want to be able to say that. I can't say that with a clear conscience. I want you to be able to say that. I I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Sharing the gospel, friend, neighbor, family member, whoever it might be, telling them about what it means to have bold access to God. I want you to be able to say, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. That's, that's a, an evangelistic catalyst for us to tell people. Okay, that was a long interruption. And now he's going to get back to what he started. He's going to pray, and the prayer is awesome. We'll go fast, I promise. Verse 14. And by the way, some of you have a dash, right? Is it after verse 2 in your translation? Or after verse 1, there's like a dash. He's trying to, they're trying to, the, the translators are giving you the idea that he's off on a divinely inspired rabbit trail before he gets back to business. 
kind of interesting. Okay, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The idea is authority. All authority ultimately comes from, from Him. He's in charge of everything. Okay, God is the Father of all, not in a universalistic kind of sense, but He's in charge because He's the Creator. He's the, the Sovereign. Verse 16, that according to the riches of His glory, and by the way, that would be grand. The all-powerful, ultimate authority, according to uh, the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with the power, or with power, through His Spirit, in your inner being. What's He doing? Help me out. He's praying for spiritual strength. I'm praying to God who is powerful and authoritative. He has more authority than the people who put me in prison so I could write this letter to you. I'm reminding you who's really in charge. And I stand before this God. I kneel before this God. And I pray for you. And what he's saying is, I'm praying that you'd be spiritually strong in your inner person, at the very fiber of your being, in your heart, in the best sense of the word, that you would be strong in this. That's what he's saying. That's a great way for us to pray for one another. Think about who, who we're asking. Verse 17, so that Christ, so Messiah, may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, spiritual strength is what he's getting at, to comprehend, to grasp, to comprehend with some depth with all the saints... What is the breadth and length and height and depth? And how about this? Worth highlighting in verse 19. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's just language heaping. You know, all these different ways of saying this. And, and, and I, I'm praying that you'll, you'll understand the ununderstandable. Which would require prayer. <laughs> right? I want you to get this, and I want you to get this so you really and truly, genuinely get it, so it's not just in your head, so it's not just intellectual, though it needs to be that. He's not knocking knowledge, because he, in fact, talks about comprehending, but it's beyond just understanding. It's, it's, it's owning you. It's really who you are, and you really get this. And I love saying, this is how we should pray. It's okay to pray that, you know, uh, your, your dog wouldn't have to have a, its leg amputated or, you know, or, or Aunt, Aunt Betsy would get over her sniffles or whatever it is, right? We're to pray for everything. We're pray to uh, pray for our daily bread and pray without ceasing. And the idea is we were always talking to God, thanking God, confessing sin, asking for help, praising. But it's so interesting to look at these, these apostolic prayers, I'm praying fervently, passionately that you get it, that it grasps you. What? What's the it? The, the love of Christ, the significance of the gospel, the significance of the work of Christ. You would understand this. I think we should pray that way for each other. What a great way to pray for each other. True spiritual strength. Back 
in chapter 1, he talked about how we already have this fullness. Well, we do already have this fullness as far as our position in Christ, united to Him. I mean, if you're united to Christ by faith, you have everything. Signed, sealed, and delivered. I won't sing it. Praise God. (laughs) The fullness is already there, and it's there in Christ. But he's praying that you understand, that you grasp, that you experience in the here and now, in your daily living, in your daily thinking. Sometimes we, in Christian circles, talk about, and it's become kind of trendy, it seems like in more recent days, even though it's old and it's an origin, we talk about preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. I think Jerry Bridges helpfully has written about that in more recent days and others have picked up on it. You know, Christians, you know, the gospel isn't just for unbelievers. We should preach the gospel to unbelievers and we should. But we should preach the gospel to ourselves and we should preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And it's one of those things where you kind of hear it and you go, that sounds good and I'm not going to argue with it. I don't understand it. But if I bring up a question, they're all going to think I'm some kind of idiot. So I'm just like, oh yeah, yeah, we should. Or and then we start saying it and we don't know what it means either. Well, that's why I heard the other day, and that's why I think we should preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Oh, yeah. And it just perpetuates more ignorance. We have no idea, but it sounds awesome. So I just want you all to know you should preach the gospel to yourself every day. And you're like, amen. This at least helps us to understand what that would mean in the best sense. What is it that Christ has done? Who is it that Christ is? What are his promises? Where does he fit within God's the plan? So that we're part of the promise. No longer strangers and aliens, but now with confidence going before the throne of grace. That he did his perfect work as the ultimate purpose of God, fulfillment of it, and he includes us so that if you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, did what he said he did and did, you will be saved? Right? To think, and think in your mind about what Jesus did in fulfilling the law in his actions and then in going to the cross and atoning for our rebellion and rising again from the dead for our justification, as Paul likes to say. Ascended into heaven, interceding on our behalf, claiming us as his own. And you start looking at that, and you look at the manifold wisdom of God and the multifaceted wisdom of God and all of this. Sounds like preaching the gospel to yourself. And you praise God for it, and you understand. You worship. Oh, and you know what's going to happen? You're going to get ready for the practical stuff. Now, all of a sudden, we're ready to hear, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Because we at least can understand it better. And we're going to get to that in chapter 5. This is a great, great reality. Maybe the best part, great way to end, we'll end with this. Here's the great prayer conclusion. Verse 20, Now to him who is able... Remember, he's been praying. I'll stop interrupting after this, I promise. He's been praying that you would grasp the ungraspable. That you would get the ungettable. Now let's read it. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We agree. Yes, make it so. Help me to understand the ununderstandable. To plumb the depths of the greatest depth ever. Let's pray that now for ourselves and for one another. Father, please, please help us to understand, even today, if it's just a little bit better, the grandeur and the magnificence, magnificence of Jesus Christ, that He is the pinnacle of Your revelation. That we're not waiting for something better. We're not waiting for something more. We're not waiting uh, for, for your ultimate plan because you've carried out your ultimate plan in your son. It reminds us of the author of Hebrews who says that you've spoken in so many different ways and yet in these last days, in these culminating epochal days, these days of fulfillment that you've spoken to us in your son. We're thankful that your son is a mighty savior. And we're thankful that we can come to you and we can come to you boldly because of him, with confidence because of him, that you're not holding our rebellion against us any longer if we're trusting in your son. We're thankful that you've given us this kind of stewardship as well. A stewardship that calls each of us to proclaim Christ to others. In that sense, we imitate the apostle Paul. And we have a desire for those around us to come to know Christ. And, and we know that you use men and women and boys and girls like us. May we be quick to open our mouths and to speak well of Christ and truthfully about Christ. Knowing that it is worth it. And knowing that it honors you and it pleases you. And it certainly encourages us. Lord, thank you for the good news of salvation in your Son. Motivate us to honor him even by our actions of gospel proclamation as well as living in light of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.